Testing, thank you. Our numbers are small, but as I was sitting there, I began to ponder. I wonder this morning how many angels are here. And then suddenly I realized that behind me are gonna be three angels hovering. Are the, is that new or is it for the last few months? I don't read. Oh, well, forgive us, but I guess I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we know there's angels here that's hovering in this room. That's right. That's right. I'm maybe a legion, who knows? Uh, we're going to have a copy of my notes passed out now to each one of you. A few are out in the kitchen when they come in, if, um, if you could just pass those out too when they do arrive, would appreciate it. No matter where we go, preaching or putting on seminars, one of the topics that comes up so often is the issue of the 144,000. I know in our afternoon seminars we've touched upon them here and there, but what I'd like to do today is have some deeper introductory thoughts as to the meaning of the 144,000, and especially as it applies to us at this time in history. On a summer evening several years ago, a friend of ours, Daryl, was relaxing on his porch with a couple of friends. Suddenly they saw billowing smoke arising from a little distance away. They jumped into his car to see what was happening. A house was on fire. Screams were coming from its inside. Daryl dashed through the front door down a burning hall and found a mother with five children. Over the next few minutes, he rescued each one out of the burning structure. They were all saved, but he sustained severe burns to his hands, neck, and body. Daryl lived, but went through many operations to be functional again. He was a hero, risking his life to save someone else. A couple of years ago, Jeannie and I had the pleasure of giving he and his wife Bible studies. Now they are members of the Adventist Church in the high desert area. Risking everything for another individual will be a driving force of the 144,000. Ellen White said this, to those who have this spirit, God speaks, come out from among them and be ye separate. She doesn't say isolate ourselves and many Adventists misinterpret to come out, meaning to isolate ourselves, is just to be separate from the influences that would detract from our going to heaven. Our work for the salvation of souls will not be done without a conflict. We shall have to practice self-denial, overcome inclination, relinquish the spirit and passions of the world, and be ready to sacrifice, as Darrell, even life itself, if need be, for Christ's sake. So that's a broad spirit that is drawn from the story of Daryl and also those that are going to be finishing the work at the end of time. I'm reminded of Christ's words, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if many man, any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, 
and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake will find it. There is much to discover about this last day people. Things all end time Christians need to know and be part of. Just a few thoughts in passing. The 144,000 are mentioned in the Old Testament in several places. We won't have time to deal with that today, but I just share that because it's a beautiful study. In the New Testament also, the white horse or the first seal really symbolizes the 144,000. Seventh-day Adventists love the following quotation from Ellen White. Let us strive with all the power that God has given to us to be among the 144,000. And let us do all that we can to help others to gain heaven. This assumes, in what she just said, that the 144,000 will gain heaven. And it's a wonderful thing to be among that group. So those are the deductions that we can make from her thoughts, but we'll discover more as we go along. Adventists love to imagine being in that group, which will form a square on the sea of glass before God's throne. They are pure, they are called virgins, they are the only ones who can go into that special pillared temple in heaven. That's talked about in Revelation 3. It has almost become, I'm moving carefully here now, a fairy tale thinking about being part of this forever vacationing group. But desire often fails to bring reality. Such fantasy denies the journey required to be in that group. To be among the 144,000 means knowing something very special and being willing to risk everything. Who are they? What does it mean to be among the 144,000? Well, to begin with, we first turn to Revelation 7. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. Verse 2. Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the tree, till we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. Verse 3. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel who were sealed. Incidentally, the next seminar that we put on here we will discuss something that has been under discussion within the Adventist church for years, and that is, and I, I was, when we came back from Japan, or were in Japan, they were posing the same question, when are God's people sealed? That question has finally been solved, and we'll spend an afternoon going through that. These and other verses are loaded with details about this special group. Now, what we've just read is now listed, believe it or not. The owner of that seal, the living God, that means it is sacred and heaven-related. It will be a gift to the 144,000. Angel ascending from the east, Christ, who is supervising the sealing, he is symbolically already on earth for a mission. He came down on the earth in another symbolic mission, and this is an incredible study to go over in verse 10.1. East means that he has come down on a deliverance mission. 
those sealed servants or followers of God who despise sin. Ezekiel 9 discusses that. Location of the seal, the forehead, meaning the person has cognitively become totally his. It is a sign that they have become citizens of the kingdom of God. The mark of Satan's kingdom is also in the forehead and the hand. Revelation 13, 16, the mark of the beast. The seal of the Antichrist, Babylon, they have irrevocably decided to follow the Antichrist beast. A seal is an emblem of belonging. Some say also protection for that group. The number sealed, 144,000. 12 is God's kingdom number in the Bible. This is how it is square-rooted if it needs to be enlarged. So the square root of the 12 is 144. If they want to emphasize it further, they multiplied it by 1,000, thus the 144,000. That was a Hebrew way of dealing with big numbers. This number is an extreme Hebrew emphasis that God's kingdom, his church, is now being completed. These people will make up God's kingdom. The number, we can say, is complete. It is a judicial statement that the judgment is about finished. Twelve tribes of Israel, there are many who believe this is a literal Israel. A study of the Jewish people in relation to history is important. The northern ten tribes have really been lost to history. Christ's true followers are noted in Galatians 3, 28 through 29, as Abraham's seed. Those 12 tribes reflect a cross-section of individuals who will be saved using that kingdom number. That in itself is a beautiful study in the book of Revelation. They reflect characteristics of each of the tribes listed. At the end, they cannot be only Jews which we will show further. The word sealed in the Greek means a sign of ownership. When sealed, these people eternally belong to God as, as his citizens. Their citizenship papers is on their foreheads, if you please. This group is an echo of Daniel 7:14. He that speaking of Christ was given authority, glory, and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom, made up of those tribes, is one that will never be destroyed. So when we desire to be among the 144,000, we're desiring to be among that eternal kingdom with Jesus Christ. It's amazing what those three short verses tell us, but there's more. First, an illustration. The United States military has many different special op forces. They are involved in covert intelligence operations, penetrating enemy lines, identifying targets, knowing the right language and assuring a successful mission. The Navy SEALs were the ones who penetrated Pakistan landing in Osama bin Laden's compound and entering his house. The Green Berets are also one of the toughest units, even working behind enemy lines. 
Many of the objectives of the special ops forces are the same as the 144,000. Intelligence operations, identifying outreach targets, knowledgeable of who they represent, penetrating and working behind enemy lines, knowing the right language, and willing to risk everything. How do we identify the 144,000 today? How do we become part of that group? Let's begin. Jeannie, would you get a, a lozenger for me, if you wouldn't mind? <laughs> Important key, the 144,000 are usually associated with another group of people. In Revelation 7, our key chapter, thank you, they are associated with a great multitude. After these things, after the 144,000 are introduced, I, John, looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Standing where? Before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands. So the great multitude is in heaven before God's throne. White means they are pure without spot. Sounds like they are similar to the 144,000, doesn't it? Keep that in mind, and we'll visit that a couple more times as we go throughout our study here this morning. Palm branches suggest a victory celebration. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So they're also before God. That large group of people is translated without seeing death. They came through the time of great tribulation, 7 verse 14. Or as we know as Adventists, we used Jeremiah's reference for Jacob's trouble. Here is how these two groups are further referenced in Revelation 7 and 14. 144,000 are mentioned first the great multitude, the final group of the saved. With Christ on Mount Zion before the throne, that was Revelation 14 as part of our reading, they are before the throne and before the Lamb. This is fascinating. The 144,000 are being sealed as they are introduced to us. Then there is a time of tribulation, the four winds are let loose, the next scene is a great multitude in the heavenly kingdom who have been translated without seeing death. Being sealed, great tribulation, multitude translated, having gone through the tribulation, is a sequence. Studying sequences in prophecy are very helpful to understand some of the dynamics of what God wants us to, to view. Let's look deeper. Then one of the elders, remember there's 24 elders around the throne in Revelation 4. Then one of the elders asked me, that's John, and this is John talking, and now the, this is what he asked. These dressed in long white robes, who are they? And where are they coming from? It's a rhetorical question that one of these elders, who incidentally is a redeemed individual who are now in heaven, 
So I said to him, my Lord, you know the answer. Then he said to me, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And the one seated on the throne will shelter them. Verses 13 through 15. These individuals, the great multitude, like the 144,000, are before the throne, and they were redeemed, were translated like the 144,000 firstfruits, and they serve God in his temple. Might the 144,000 and the great multitude be the same people? They do seem to start out as two groups. John the Revelator later noted in beautiful imagery, lo, a lamb stood in Mount Zion, representing the administrative center of heaven, and with him 144,000, that kingdom number that's expanded, having his father's name written in their foreheads. They are not only citizens, but now in God's kingdom. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne. They are a special choir that can sing a certain song. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. They are part of the retinue that follow Jesus, even in heaven. These were redeemed from among men, the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. They are the first of the redeemed as translated saints. And without fault before the throne of God, they are uniquely placed before God's throne, perfect in character. That's a stunning list of additional clues to our study of the 144,000. They will become citizens of God's heavenly kingdom. They're part of a special choir. They will know a special theme song. They will have special privileges in following Jesus. They are perfect, they are holy. They will be positioned before God's throne and God's name is on their foreheads. The church of the 144,000 is the sixth church of the seven in Revelation 3 and 4. That's the Philadelphia church. John identifies Christ who is speaking to him as he that is holy, true, and has the key of David to open and close a door that man cannot touch. Incidentally, in the seven churches, each of the seven churches begins by Christ introducing himself in a, a very unique way that he wants that particular church to understand him as. And that's another incredible study when you study the seven churches. The house of David became a symbol for the kingdom of Christ. He has the key of David. Christ has authority over the key to the entryway of that kingdom. Who, does, who goes through the door? Those who, whom Christ has judged worthy. This is what it says about those in the Philadelphia church. He used the key of authority and opened the door into his kingdom for them. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. 
For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Consequently, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. That will be another study for a future seminar, and that is what the hour of temptation means. Very important to grasp. Which shall come upon the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Of these individuals will eventually be written the name of God, the name of Jerusalem in Christ's new name. That is really the seal, the kingdom seal of God of the 144,000. But wait, Ellen White said, even after the saints are sealed with the seal of the living God, his elect will have trials individually. Personal afflictions will come by the furnace that is closely watched by an eye that will not suffer the gold to be consumed. The indelible mark of God is upon them. God can plead that his own name is written there. The Lord has shut them in. Their, des des their destination is inscribed. God, New Jerusalem. They are God's property his possessions. And then this is Jacob's trouble follows. Do you really want to be part of the 144,000? You must experience an hour of temptation being sealed. Then the great tribulation, terrible individual trials, finally, a multitude will be translated successfully going through that. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. This is the Philadelphia church, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. John saw a lamb on Mount Zion, and with him the 144,000, having his father's name on their foreheads. They are the signet of heaven. They reflect the image of God. Jesus, and this is interesting, Jesus perfectly represented God the Father. We will perfectly represent Jesus Christ at the very end. The indelible mark of God is upon them. God can plead that his own name is written there. The Lord has shut them in. Their destination is inscribed, God, New Jerusalem. They are God's property, his possessions. The sealing represents those names on the forehead of the members of the Philadelphia church. The sealing represents those names on the forehead of the 144,000. They are the same. Might this group be shown elsewhere in prophecy? Yes, in Revelation with the four living creatures is one example. And actually in many places in the Old Testament, as I previously alluded to, the white horse associated with a lion-like living creature represents the tribe of Judah, which is symbolic of the 144,000 going out to conquer. The black horse is the great multitude waiting in darkness to be called out by those special ops, the white horse. 
I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come, I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Horses in prophecy represent people in battle. White represents purity and holiness. Conquering and to conquer, they win the battle because their rider and leader is Jesus Christ. What about that bow? I think we've discussed that in our afternoon meetings. A bow without arrows. In Hebrew analogy, it's very fascinating, means that the arrow has already left the bow and successfully hit its target. So this is a promise by the rider of this white horse that their mission of conquest will be successful. It's a beautiful uh, a symbolic study. The 144,000 are God's group of kingdom citizens who recover the covenant blessings that he had originally given to ancient Israel. It's a beautiful thought. Let me read it again. It's a summation thought, really, for the 144,000. They are God's group of kingdom citizens who recover the covenant blessings that he had originally given to ancient Israel. In the evening of September 8, 2009, a patrol of American trainers and Afghan forces were making their way via a deep valley to a village to talk with the elders. As they came near the outskirts of the village, all the lights went out that usually meant trouble. They were ambushed from three sides. Taliban forces unleashed their fury on them. One mile away, Corporal Dakota and Staff Sergeant Chavez heard on the radio the explosions and the gunfires. Against orders, these two men hopped into the Humvee, their Humvee and raced towards that village. Dakota said those Americans were my friends. They first found wounded Afghan soldiers. They loaded them and drove back to safety. The vehicle sustained many bullet holes. Back they went a second and a third and a fourth time, each episode getting out of the vehicle and loading the wounded. In the fifth and last run, the four Americans who had been trapped and wounded were rescued. Dakota sustained a bullet on his left arm. He later received a distinguished medal of honor from President Obama. Dakota and Chavez epitomized the 144,000. Under intense resistance, even risking their lives, they will go on a rescue mission for Jesus Christ. And if you want to see that in the Old Testament, Daniel 12, verses 6 and 7 will describe some of the stresses and some of the horrors that God's people have to go through as they finally finish the work. When the 144,000 make their debut and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, this is that verse where Jesus comes down symbolically, clothed with a cloud. Anytime you see a verse with the idea of cloud, 
and a being coming, son of man coming, a cloud always symbolizes Jesus Christ. And I can tell you that's under great scrutiny right now regarding Daniel 7, within and without the church. The cloud is a very important symbol. And upon his head and his face was it were as sun, and his feet were as pillars of fire. This is Christ because of the similitude to his description. In Similarity, okay, thank you, that's good, to his description in Revelation 1, 12 through 16, and the association again with a cloud. This is a point of time when he comes symbolically down to help those who will be his final witnesses, the 144,000. We have written a, a whole book on Revelation 10, FYI, to deal with some of these issues. It will all begin as an early rain experience, another study. In this preparation chapter, he comes with the rainbow of promise, authority over the whole world, feet on earth and sea, filled with heaven's glory, face as a sun, ready to begin judicial work on planet earth. Jesus is helping them prepare for the final evangelistic outreach or message. The key preparation before witnessing here in Revelation 10 is to eat a little book that is opened. We have a historical application of this and we have an end time application of this. And studying that chapter, the end time is certainly much more apropos to us. So they can witness. That book is the unsealed portion of Daniel. Before the 144,000 go out, two very important events are recorded in Revelation 10 and 11. The preparation begins right after Jesus symbolically comes down. Then the judgment of the living of those who claim to be Christians begins. Then I was given a reed, a little measuring rod, and, or like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. The Holy Spirit reigned before the 1260 days of witnessing in earth's final call, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. This information is profound. Before the last three and a half years, the 144,000 who will be commissioned to cry, behold, the bridegroom comes, will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's a very important part of the study of the latter rain and when it arrives. Will they be sealed also before the great multitude figuratively comes on the scene? That comes later. After that hour of temptation of the Philadelphia church. But they will have an early rain experience. The best way to simply understand this, early rain, 144,000, preparation, knowledge-based, that's eating that little open book, latter rain, great multitude, trial of our faith, Sunday law, the death decree, if you want to put that underneath that Sunday law. There are five Sunday laws, incidentally, that Ellen White talks about. The final one is the death decree. And finally, 
the ceiling, kingdom made up, symbolically the great multitude, the 144,000, Malachi 3.17. The 144,000 versus the great multitude. Question. At the end of time, might those two groups again become one? This is where this study becomes special. As early as 1846, expositor Ellen Harmon knew but didn't elaborate. Now let's just carefully study this paragraph. The living saints, the 144,000 in number, knew and understood the voice while the wicked thought it was thunder and an earthquake. What was the voice? It was when the clouds rolled back and forth in the sky. Great controversy, the title of the chapter, God's people delivered. It's that night of deliverance. She said, those waiting, hearing this voice and understanding this voice are the living saints. And how does she describe them? The 144,000. There was thunder and an earthquake. When God spake the time, he poured on us the Holy Ghost. And our faces began to shine up and shine with the glory of God as Moses did when he came down from Mount Sinai. How many people went through Jacob's trouble in Revelation 7 when we talk about the great multitude? It's a number that's too high to count. So if we tie Revelation 7 with this quote from Ellen White, those that are be translated really are the great multitude, but they are the same thing as the 144,000. Again, these are just introductory thoughts that I'm giving you, but they become the same. And when we look in Daniel 8, the two horns on the ram, the little horn came up first, and the greater horn came up last. Horns give power to the ram of God. And on and on, there's illustrations all throughout the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. But they both work together and, and really they were one. Let's go to the next page. The living saints are those waiting to be translated. Later, Ellen White again said that they were the 144,000. How big is that translated group? Revelation 7 again said it's too big to count. This is all associated with the night of deliverance. Daniel 12, 1 speaks of that. Probation has closed. Michael stands up, a transitional phase in prophecy. Being seated or standing up is always a transitional phase. This is when the cry rings throughout the universe, it is done. This is when chaos strikes the earth and the heavens, the stars fall, the sun turns black, the moon becomes like blood, the islands disappear and the sky rolls back and forth. Then Christ appears as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let me just stop here once again. Historically, there are many applications which Adventists know and they have known to the different prophecies. But if you look at Matthew 24, just as one little example that we really precisely look, 
the falling of the stars, the moon turning like blood, and the sun darkening, what, when does that occur in Matthew 24? After Jacob's trouble, after the great tribulation. So that is something that we need to keep in mind, even though we understand as Adventists and maybe we overemphasize the historical aspect, there is a greater application of these prophecies at the very end of time, which is the application that we need to really understand at this point. How many living saints are translated? And I just referred to that, so let me skip down to the second half of page 11. The translated group have become one. They are made up of the witnesses, 144,000 in the multitude that they bring in. The great tribulation is called Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah 37, Matthew 24, and Mark 13, and Luke 21 tell us. When that occurs, it's just before Jesus returns. Scholars and expositors have concluded that the 144,000 represent the group that finishes the gospel work at the end. They are distinct and are identified as receiving the seal of the living God. Their work brings in so many that they cannot be counted. The sealing means that they are rooted deeply in Christ and his teachings and have become citizens of heaven and they're now protected. They have repented of all their sins. They have put on the robe of Christ's righteousness, his perfection. And the context of Revelation 7 suggests that the great multitude merges again with the 144,000 and they all become one. They are translated without seeing death. They are called the first fruits. They keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus and they hate sin. 18th century evangelist George Whitefield preached three to four times each day. History tells us from age 22 to 55 when he died. He spoke in England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, and seven times in the American colonies. Imagine, and this is just to tickle your thinking as we close, imagine 144,000 John Whitefields preaching so many sermons around the whole world. Ellen White says, everybody will hear the final call. And I can't imagine that, but that's a promise that we have. And there'll be no excuse that anyone hasn't made some decision. God is now looking for those messengers. In fact, he's calling with a loud voice. Will you say yes and be among the 144,000. It's going to be a tough job. It's going to be very difficult at the end. It's going to be filled with lots of trials and, and maybe even persecution, maybe more. Are you willing to go through first? And this is where we are at right now. The preparation, eating that little book, that's the book of Daniel. Really, it's Daniel 8 through 12 is really what it's referring to. And Ellen White supports that. Will you decide then to be among the 144,000? So when you study these introductory thoughts of the 144,000, it's a big issue when we say, I want to be among them. 
It's more than the fantasy of that hollow square on the sea of glass in heaven. It's more than being serving Jesus Christ and following him in heaven. Those are fantasies and wonderful things to think about. But the big issue is we become God's Marines, his Green Berets, if you please, his special ops at the very end. It is a mission-specific issue to be among the 144,000. I hope everyone here this morning is going to be in that group. Let's bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, to study some of the details of your Holy Word is inspiring and it's awing. Father, I just humbly pray that we will move away from the element of fantasy and dreaming about this issue. And we will rivet ourselves on the reality that we will become the final voice that many people on this planet Earth will ever hear. Father, I just pray that we will be driven to prepare, to know the book of Daniel, to know the love of Jesus Christ, that we can just so automatically talk about it and be part of that group that finishes the work. We'd love to be translated. We'd love to be in that group, part of that group. And I pray that our desires here this morning will be to fully submit and be completely prepared for that time which is just ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen.